Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today we have Rachel Levitan, Vice President of International Programs for HIAS. HIAS is an organization that has over 130 years worth of experience providing health and safety services for refugees. She walks us through many of the programs they are involved with across the world that helps ensure refugees, no matter their location, has an opportunity to live and thrive in a safe environment. I'm Ian Gaines. Come join us Beyond Borders. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today we have Vice President of International Programs for HIAS, Rachel Levitan. Pleasure to have you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So first, tell us a little bit about HIAS. Sure. Um, HIAS was founded in the 1880s. It's uh, got a very old-fashioned sounding name, which is the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society. That's how Mm. it started. And it really was the agency that Jews came to get protection from the moment that they landed in the U.S. So they were there at Ellis Island giving a cup of chicken soup and helping people get to a place to live and and settle in the U.S. And that was actually even before there was such a term as refugee. It was really an agency that was providing assistance to the many, many uh, thousands of Jews who at that time were fleeing pogroms and other forms of persecution primarily in Europe. And that was really the mission of the agency for probably the next hundred years. Mm-hmm. So Hyas was there providing uh, rescue and protection to Jews fleeing from persecution all across Europe through the Holocaust and other parts of the world as well, and stayed very involved in that work with Jewish refugees up until the probably the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Um, through the 1970s, Hyas was extremely involved in providing advocacy and uh, support to the Jews who were trying to leave from the former Soviet Union. And once that population kind of made its way to where it wanted to go, whether it was Israel or to the U.S. and made their way through immigration procedures here, Mm. it was really at a crossroads, like a lot of other faith-based agencies, and said, uh, do we stay in this game? There aren't that many Jewish refugees out there. Mm. And... Obviously, I'm here today. That decision <laughs> yes. was, yes, let's stay involved. And um, we're going to keep doing this work, not because the refugees are Jewish, but because we are Jewish. We are a Jewish organization that's based on values of welcoming the stranger. Mm. So we felt like we were compelled to stay involved in providing that kind of support and protection for refugees, regardless of their religion, whatever background they Mm. are, and whatever kinds of persecution they were fleeing from. So at that point, uh, we started working with refugees of all different backgrounds to resettle them in the U.S., and then we began to provide protection overseas to refugees in other places. Great. Yeah. So now you've become completely global. Right. Right. So what are some of the main services that you guys provide? Sure. Uh, Well, in the U.S., we're one of the uh, nine refugee resettlement agencies. So we work with the U.S. government to uh, help resettle refugees who arrive here. Mm. Um, We know that that number has dropped quite a bit in the last couple of years. So last year, the ceiling for the number of refugees was reduced from 110,000 to 45,000. And only about 23,000 refugees came in. 
this fiscal year, the ceiling, which is set by the president, was placed at 30,000, and we've got about 20,000 who've arrived in the country. So we work with those other agencies to provide that initial support to refugees who land here, whether it's social work or housing, education, um, those, those types of support. But globally, we do other work. We do legal protection. So we help people through asylum procedures. We do that in the U.S. as well. And then we're also focused on economic inclusion, so livelihoods programs. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of work on gender-based violence, both the prevention side and response. And then we also help on mental health and mm. psychosocial support for people who are really fleeing trauma and and need that support in order to regularize their their lives. So yeah, that's fully encompassing. Also, you do like legal assistance, so they'll actually know their rights. And that's interesting because since you're international, the laws are different in different countries. In Ecuador, these are sort of the the rights that you have. And so just to make them aware and knowledgeable. Yeah, that's right. So in each of the countries where we work, we mostly are working with national staff. So when we have lawyers on board, um, for instance, in Costa Rica, we've been growing quite a bit um, to deal with Venezuelans, Central Americans, Nicaraguans, uh, and all sorts of folks that are coming through right now. Mm. And so the lawyers are called to the bar in Costa Rica. And not only do they provide with the support of paralegals, public legal information, like you said, know your rights info, Mm -hmm. but we also provide individual legal representation through asylum procedures or other procedures if they apply. And that's true in our other offices where we just do that direct legal services. So we have a big program in Israel working with Eritrean and Sudanese refugees Mm. in Greece, where we're working with Syrian, Afghan, and Iraqi refugees. We're right now building up our presence at the U.S.-Mexico border. So we're not only helping Helping people who are applying for asylum in the U.S., but because of the remain in Mexico policy, people who are applying for asylum in the U.S. have to remain in Mexico. So we have a presence in, uh, we're building up our presence on the Mexico side to give assistance for the U.S. asylum process, but also the Mexican process. So we'll have Mexican staff helping us with that in partnership with lawyers throughout the U.S. who want to come down to the border and provide that kind of support. Right. So uh, I know that you just recently got back from Mexico. Could you uh, share a little bit about that trip? Sure. Um, So we currently have a a program that's based in El Paso and in San Diego, where Mm -hmm. we have lawyers who we're calling legal fellows down there to provide assistance through local partners in asylum cases and also help people in detention. Mm -hmm. And because of the introduction of the Remain in Mexico uh, policy, Mm -hmm. we know that people are being returned to Mexico in big numbers. I just found out that there are as many as 500 people being sent back to Mexico just from El Paso every day. So we could see as many as, if you calculate that, 10,000 per month being pushed back. Now, we can't provide legal assistance to all of them, but we can and will be providing um, trainings to people to let them know what their rights are, both the asylum process in the U.S. and Mm -hmm. other procedures that they might want to know about, uh, and then helping them fill out forms, prepare them for their interviews, and then refer the very vulnerable cases uh, for representation by our lawyer 
lawyers on the U.S. side and and the other partners who are down there. Right. Just to give a little context for people, why are these refugees, why do they have to stay in Mexico? I I know you was talking about like the new administration, well, the administration's sort of new policy. Uh, While they're going through that legal process, they cannot themselves stay in the U.S. And this is what we're seeing right now. That's correct. You got it. That new mm. policy requires people to wait on in Mexico, so on the other side of the border, mm. while their cases are pending and before their hearings come up. And sometimes they have to wait in pretty dangerous circumstances. So that's another mm. thing that's tough, particularly for very vulnerable people, but for, for anybody in general who's waiting. Right. We might have already gone over, but I was going to ask about your uh, particular roles in, in tasks at highest. Sure. Yeah. Um, So I'm the vice president for international programs. Mm -hmm. We also have programs that are just based in the U.S. that focus on resettlement. So my work is to support our teams globally. We have about 800 staff Mm -hmm. in 12 countries right now and support them as they carry out their programs, uh, make sure they have the operational support that they need, whether it's, you know, the budget and finance side or IT or security, which is often Mm -hmm. an issue. And then also build out the the programmatic side and make sure that we're really delivering programs, whether it's legal aid or gender-based violence response or livelihoods programming that really is evidence-based and that it's kind of cutting edge in terms of Mm. what it's doing to help people and really places our clients at the center of the approach. What do they need? What do they want? And how Mm. does that mesh with what we know from best practices around the world? For the livelihood programs, you help refugees, help build social and business skills. My sort of question was, do you help them with job fairs or let them know if there's sort of economic opportunities for them and sort of point them in the right direction? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's a kind of a whole comprehensive approach that we take to our livelihoods work. Mm -hmm. So it starts with financial literacy. Do you know what your financial rights are? Can you access Mm -hmm. a bank account if you have the right to it? And then there's a vocational side, building up skills. There's uh, micro grants that are granted. And then um, we also have been really successful piloting something called the graduation model, Hmm. which is basically a model that is a wraparound approach to economic inclusion that helps people graduate out of poverty. And it looks not only at your financial literacy, but it provides a loan. It helps you build a business plan. It provides ongoing support um, to look at your housing situation, the the nutrition in your family, whether your kids are in school, whether you have legal status, whether you have friends in the neighborhood who are from the local host community, provides that wraparound support so that you can build up the skills and the resources and the assets so that you can really have control over your own life and succeed going forward. Yes. Being self-sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Um, But Hyas must face some level of resistance in assisting refugees. What have you found to be one of the greatest obstacles? Well, I would say that anti-immigrant and anti-refugee policy and attitudes Mm. is our biggest challenge. Mm. And so how do we convince our friends, our neighbors who might be afraid of 
refugees, whether because they bring other cultures or xenophobia. because they're yeah. yeah they're they're worried about their own jobs. Right. How do we confront that xenophobia in a mm. way that really does change minds, change people's hearts toward people who are coming into our communities who are newcomers, mm. and we take it on in a number of ways. So when it comes to law and policy, we have a we have a whole advocacy shop that's working together to meet with lawmakers and help them understand the value, including the economic value that refugees bring to communities. But we also go out to communities themselves and build up our grassroots support to um, create welcoming communities. Um, in the U.S., because Hyas is a Jewish organization, we have a lot mm. of welcoming Jewish communities and um, synagogues mm. that have stepped up to really say, we stand by refugees, we are providing support, but it's not limited to Jewish communities. And we do that outreach, not only to create that welcoming hand when a refugee arrives at mm -hmm. the airport or uh, you know in setting up their apartment or in getting their kids to the doctor but then also to get folks to reach out to their lawmakers and say we want policies that welcome refugees mm -hmm. so we do that in the US but we also work with our global programs to do that all over the world um, and do the same kind of outreach to local communities, outreach to lawmakers. We have a great program in Panama, for example, where mm -hmm. we're doing, um, we have a whole curriculum for kids on welcoming newcomers to schools. Wow. That's been really That's great. Nice. That's great. Yeah, it's just helping making that transition as seamless and as easy as possible, right? I think recently, whether it was on June 20th or the 19th, Hyas has partnered with Rosetta Stone to help refugees go through like sort of language services. Uh, so if they're relocated to a new area to learn the language of that area, just to help them along in that process. So it just makes it easier for these uh, refugees to one, to feel safe in a new environment. That's number one. Right. And then not only to be safe, to be reunited with their, their families. So have those services and uh, to build the type of skills so they can provide for themselves and the families. So it's fully comprehensive. That's right. You yeah. got it. Yeah. yeah. You should come work at Hyas. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I, I, I can always lend some skills. But um, so uh, June 20th was actually World Refugee Day. Did you guys do anything for that? Yeah, we did. Um, both in the U.S. and around the world, our programs were engaged in all sorts of activities. And we actually have, uh, you can go to our, our website at highest.org and see all the various activities that we um, engaged in. But it, I think what's so important about World Refugee Day is it shines a light on the vast numbers of refugees in the world today. Mm. Um, the U.N. Refugee Agency actually just put out its statistics uh, for this year and it's pretty remarkable to know that more than 70 million people are forcibly displaced today. Wow. Largest number ever with close to 26 million people who are refugees, meaning they've crossed a border. They're fleeing persecution and they've mm. actually left. Um, five and a half are Palestinians. Uh, 41 million are people who are internally displaced. Mm. And three and a half million people are seeking asylum. And so the numbers are remarkable. Huge numbers are Syrian refugees, hmm. but uh, one of the biggest concerns that Hyas is addressing right now are the vast numbers of Venezuelans who are leaving home. Right. So we just yeah. um, 
got the latest information, which is that 4 million Venezuelans in a country that was originally 34 million in population mm. have left the country. Mm. Close to 2 million are in Colombia. Uh, mm. I know uh, in Ecuador, there's close to a quarter million. Peru is going to have a million by the end of the year. So South mm. America is being really hit quite heavily. And we have a program in Ecuador that's been working with them at the borders, both with Colombia and Peru yeah. and providing emergency response there. But it's a lot. And, yeah. and we're about to open up uh, programs in Colombia and Peru. And we just opened up a little office in Aruba, actually, because oh, wow. there yeah. are about 16,000 Venezuelans who've arrived on that island. And the wow. Caribbean is really um, being slammed because they're so small, and yet they've got so many Venezuelans that they're trying to take care of right and that was actually one of the questions that i had is like how do you determine if a location is safe enough to relocate to um you see that a lot of our refugees they're fleeing from their countries from neighboring states you know uh so how do you determine where to relocate them oh if we're doing resettlement mm -hmm. um it really depends on the country. I mean, if you're a mm. refugee, you often are just going to the country next door because you probably right. don't have that many resources. And usually that country next door is not a lot safer than the country right. that you've come to. Right. And we see that a lot in, in the situation with Colombia, although that country has done a lot over the last couple of years to stabilize after almost 50 years of civil war, it's still not a safe place and certainly mm. not for them, the many, many Venezuelans coming in. It's it's tough for them to host that many, but they have opened their borders to them. But if we're doing uh, work as a resettlement agency, and that's when somebody has left home, let's say you're gay from Uganda and you mm. uh, can't stay there anymore because it's unsafe and you fled to Kenya, mm. and we have an office in Kenya, we mm. might refer you for resettlement. And if we do that, that often goes through the UN Refugee Agency, which then works with the few resettlement countries that are out there who uh, will decide if it's a, a good fit and if they can provide assistance right away. The U.S. Uh, used to take probably 95% of all resettled refugees. Mm -hmm. But the number of re refugees resettled every year is pretty small. Less than 1% of all the refugees in the world are actually resettled. Wow, that's quite a number. In order to coordinate this uh, resettlement, is there some sort of collaboration that you guys have with the foreign governments or international agencies? Um, how do you guys collaborate in that sense? Sure. If we're overseas and we're a referral agency, hmm. then if we identify a client who's particularly vulnerable and they meet one of the nine or 10 resettlement criteria, mm. you know, you might be uh, a woman at risk or you might have severe medical issues or security concerns, then we'll refer usually to the UN Refugee Agency. And from there, they decide, well, should you go to Canada, Sweden, the US? The US used to take the bulk mm. of, of cases. It still does, um, but the numbers are quite reduced um, in the last few years. Few years yeah. And so then there's an agency overseas, um, and there are a number of different ones, the International Organization of Migration. HIAS actually processes cases in Vienna. We, we process cases of 
religious minorities out of Iran for resettlement mm. uh, in our office in Austria. And those cases then get sent to the U.S. And on yeah. the U.S. side, it's like the baton is passed mm. to agencies on the U.S. side, including Hyas, because we're over here as well, right. um, and a number of other agencies to decide who's the right fit as an agency is this person reuniting with family in a particular location most are so you mm -hmm. would send them to that location and whatever agency is based out there would take them is it a single person if so do they have certain medical needs that could be served in different locations so people get sent out to different locations depending on what their their needs are but there's right. a big network of agencies whether they're local ngos International NGOs like HIAS, government agencies, so like the government of Kenya right. and the U.S. government need All to be on the same page, yeah. mm -hmm. right, that come together to say we're going to make this work. Right. Um, and really the U.S., when it's involved in resettlement, is saying to those host countries, look, we know that you have large numbers of refugees and you're, you're really stretched to capacity. How can we help lighten mm. that load? How can we help sort of take on our obligations as a member of the international community to shift the burden away from some of the countries that are right next door to some of the biggest conflicts? Right. So that's the value of, of resettlement. And that's where, you know, for an agency like us to see the numbers reduced so dramatically, we see the, the negative impact there. Wrapping up. So what's one of the best ways to get in contact? with HIAS if someone is listening and needs some assistance uh, for themselves or others? So the best way is that you can go to our website, which is www.hias.org. Mm. And there's a tab there that says ways to get involved or take action. So mm. from there, you can decide what's the right fit for you. Um, do you want to volunteer as a lawyer to provide pro bono legal assistance? Uh, do you want to provide language classes or support? Um, do you want to engage with your own lawmaker, your representative, mm. and send support that way? Do you want to write letters to refugees and migrants who are in detention to show support? So there are a lot of different ways that you can get involved, and we have a really um, a really active team that's involved in helping people volunteer. But you can right. also just go there to have a look at what kind of programs we're providing in the U.S. and around the world. Great. Well, thank you. So Rachel, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here. And I encourage all those who are listening, please, you know, look up highest. And if you have the time, get involved with great things that they're doing here. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me. For more content and immigration updates, please visit our website at eiglaw.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIG underscore law to join the conversation. Thank you for listening. See you next time.